Welcome. This is the Short Fuse podcast, produced by the Arts Fuse, the online journal of arts commentary and criticism. Our conversations are with artists, writers, musicians, and others whose work reveals our communities through their lens and stirs us to seek change. James Baldwin said that artists are here to disturb the peace. I'm Elizabeth Howard, your host. We engage, we explore, we ask questions. In this Short Fuse podcast, I'm in conversation with Stephen Riley, the director of the Speed Art Museum in Louisville, Kentucky, to discuss the exhibition Promise, Witness, Remembrance that opened on April 7th and closed on June 11th. Brianna Taylor was murdered in Louisville by three white police officers on March 13th last year. A few months earlier, Ahmed Aubrey has been killed in Glen County, Georgia while jogging. Then George Floyd was murdered on May 25th. Last spring, there were demonstrations in Louisville against Brianna Taylor's death, gun violence, and ongoing police brutality. Promise Witness Remembrance is a memorial to the life of Brianna Taylor and an effort to engage the local community of Louisville and to reach out nationally to all of us to think about how to engage in dialogue and conversation around systemic racism. Music, sound, and performance filled the galleries of both the Promise Witness Remembrance exhibition and Grief and Grievance at the New Museum in New York. Janine Otis, a jazz musician and the music director of St. Mark's in the Bowery, Episcopal Church in New York City, generously and graciously contributed music for our conversation. As long as he In this Short Fuse podcast, I'm in conversation with Stephen Riley, the director of the Speed Art Museum in Louisville, Kentucky. Stephen, thank you for taking the time for this conversation and leading me by the hand through the exhibition. How did you make the decision to place the Speed Art Museum in the epicenter of this situation, to think about how an art museum could contribute to both the understanding and the healing around national mourning for Black lives? Well, thank you, Elizabeth. We, you know, everyone in Louisville last year, like in our own way, like the rest of the country, um, started looking with a very sharpened focus at our legacies of racism and police brutality in Louisville. That began when we started learning about the killing of Breonna Taylor. And as an institution in the city, we found ourselves, I found myself as a Speeds director thinking about what is the role of an art museum at times like this when our city is struggling. We've worked hard since reopening our renovated museum five years ago to kind of reinvent the relationship of a great museum to its city and region. And this really called that question for us. We found ourselves asking, you know, what is the role of an art museum at a time like this? We spent a lot of the summer looking internally, like a lot of institutions articulating our own commitments to racial equity. And then In late August, we saw, like the rest of the world, the cover of Vanity Fair magazine with Amy Sherrill's remarkable portrait of Louisville's Breonna Taylor. And we started to have a vision of how art could serve our city at a time of need. 
Um, most museum exhibitions are in the planning stages for years. Promise, Witness, and Remembrance was not only organized in a short time, but it was also curated and created during a pandemic when people couldn't meet in person or travel, couldn't visit studios or galleries. How did you identify Allison Glenn, a writer and associate curator at the Crystal Bridges Museum in Arkansas, to curate the exhibition? It was an interesting path on the way to, to our finding Allison and Allison getting to us. Um, once we saw Amy Sherald's portrait, we reached out to Amy. We had shown her art in the past before she became world famous for the Michelle Obama portrait. Um, and she agreed to loan the painting um, to Louisville. We can talk later about the fact mm. that she also wanted the to be a co-owner of the painting. We then needed the support of Brianna Taylor's family. And so we reached out to another remarkable woman, um, Tamika Palmer, Brianna's mother, who's become an incredible leader in the fight for justice for her daughters over her daughter's killing and, and for others. She was um, excited about the opportunity um, and felt that from the beginning that she liked the portrait that Amy had painted because it depicted what she called her daughter's uplifting spirit. Um, mm -hmm. And we realized then that we had the opportunity to show to do justice, the, to try to do justice to at least one life that had been lost so tragically, but we needed a curator. We, um, the museum is in a gap. We don't have a contemporary curator right now, and we don't have a black curator. And it was very important for us to, to get someone who um, brought those qualities, but also mm -hmm. someone who understood Amy Gerald's role in art history, understand the kind of history of both contemporary and historic um, black portraiture, um, and we were lucky enough to find Allison. In fact, it was a, a colleague of ours, another curator recommended her. And then I was also in conversation with Thelma Golden, the mm -hmm. unbelievably unbelievable <laughs> um, museum leader from the museum at Harlem, Harlem, and Amy herself. And they all felt that Allison was the right person. So I reached out with a, with a blind email. I'd never met Allison to an email to her at Crystal Bridges, told her kind of the pieces we had in place, that we had Amy on board that um, Tamika Palmer and Brianna's family were on board. We also had support from Darren Walker at the Ford Foundation, who had encouraged me and our museum to be ambitious in serving our community with art. And we were delighted and very fortunate that Allison said yes, that Crystal Bridges agreed to um, work with her schedule so that she could move on to our project. And she joined our team in about early to mid-December of last year. Well, and I, I understand that Allison was familiar with the work of Okwe and Weiser, the Nigerian writer, critic, and uh, one of the most important curators of the past century. And of course, it was Okwe who conceived before his death the Grief and Grievance Art and Mourning in America exhibition that was on view at the New Museum in New York from February through June. And his influence in her curatorial direction is clear. It It, it was so appropriate that these exhibitions should run simultaneously. A great point. Well, of course, I think we all in museums um, look to Okwe, you know, and, and the, the legacy of his genius that obviously was felt at the new museum. Allison did, you know, look to a lot of scholars, Ta-Nehisi Coates, who had been the one who guest edited that edition of the, um, of the Vanity Fair, that, that and he commissioned the portrait from Amy. Allison also was really sensitive to the fact that she wasn't from Louisville, she didn't know Louisville. She was not going to have time during COVID to get to know Louisville deeply. And so she deliberately built into the exhibit this kind of dynamism between both the national and the local, understanding that she had the opportunity to, um, to address something with us that was of and for our city, 
but also do it against the backdrop of the legacy of racial inequity, the legacies of gun violence. Um, and she was very wisely also built immediately a national advisory panel that incorporated both artists whose work she wanted to include in the, in the exhibit, like Amy, like Hank Willis Thomas, the Astor Gates, the filmmaker John Cesare Goff, but also people she had gotten to know, leaders in their own fields and philanthropy or the corporate world who had experienced, um, in some cases, the, the well, experienced the killing of relatives, in some cases, some of the more infamous um, examples of police killings and brutality. And she wanted, she knew to move quickly, but also to have, um, to really go deep into that context, she needed a sounding board for herself. When you walk into the Speed Museum through that almost clear glass entrance, it's so beautiful, um, you see Amy's stunning portrait of Brianna Taylor's in your sight line through several galleries that you know were the original building and which what was, I guess, built in 1925. And it's a powerful image that doesn't allow you to look away. Um, and I've, I've read that many people believe that this might become one of the most significant paintings of the century for all that it represents. Can you talk a little bit about the portrait? You know, among other things, when we received it from Amy's studio in New York, it was one of the best known paintings in the world that had almost never been seen by a human being. It had never left Amy's studio and during COVID almost no one had visited her studio. So we knew it was a very, a, a an extra um, rare opportunity and, and needed to be treated, um, you know, respectfully because of what it represents, the freshness of Brianna's killing in our own community to her family and loved ones, um, but also just what an extraordinary work of art that that falls into a, you know, many century um, millennial kind of tradition of painting martyrs in some ways. As you say, mm -hmm. we did use this incredible perspective, this enfilade of marble column, terrazzo floored galleries to create this perspective. But you know, like a lot of things, there are accidents that, that come into being until very late in the exhibit planning, we really weren't sure whether we were going to have visitors get to that final gallery and then turn to see the portrait. Um, but over time, we realized that for a number of reasons, it was really important to fill that space. Interestingly, we had never, since the museum reopened five years ago, after this incredible design by Kulapat Yantrasas to the architect who's currently working on the internal renovations at the Met and the Museum of Natural History in New York, we had never placed a work of art deliberately in that sight line. And so, you know, there's um, serendipity in all exhibits and all activities as well. But the minute we saw it there, we realized it answered a lot of needs. One is that um, Allison was aware a lot of people would be coming to the exhibit only to see the portrait. And we also knew we were gonna be welcoming a lot of first time visitors to the museum. And so they were never gonna be in doubt about where to find the portrait if that was what they wanted to see. Mm -hmm. But more um, intently, um, we, we found, and this really became more clear to me during the run of the exhibit, we designed the exhibit as an emotional process. One of the things that our city hasn't had is people haven't had is the time to process their feelings. You know, the, the protest movement has had such an incredible role in, in carrying this story for the community and, and bringing the world's attention to Breonna Taylor's killing. Um, but things have been coming at us so fast this year. In Louisville alone, um, Breonna Taylor's death 
led to other killings. Um, David McAtee was killed when the National Guard kind of moved into um, our predominantly black neighborhoods of West Louisville. Tyler Girth, whose photographs are in the exhibit, was killed, a young white man killed in the protest square downtown. And the leader of kind of the chants, the magnetic kind of voice of the movement, Travis Najdi, was killed by a carjacker in the fall. So on top of that was COVID and a spike in gun violence. We knew that art could help people um, process their feelings. And what we saw over time was by placing the portrait always within sight. So as you move through the galleries, you kind of weave, um, you know, you may lose sight of it for a minute, but when you move from one gallery to the other, there it is again. By the time you approach it, you've actually accomplished some grieving and some processing. Um, in fact, we were we were anticipating and wanting to support people with a with very strong emotional reactions, and they did have them, but honestly, not quite to the degree that we had expected. And I think it's because of the way they were able to see the portrait coming and knowing they were going to have this encounter once they reached the fifth and more or less the final gallery of the exhibit. And the portrait itself is also um, very still. Um, there's such depth in Brianna's face that Amy's accomplished that um, there's, it's, it's, um, it's quite serious. You know, there's a real element of, of the portrait of Brianna Taylor that is clearly not of and with us, that she's clearly kind of in the beyond, but her gaze is on us. And there is this very seriousness about um, intentionality, a look of, uh, um, she's looking for justice. She's watching us to see what we're doing um, in the reality of the world we find ourselves in now. You know, I, I was in Louisville not just to attend the exhibition, but I was also there to spend time in the archives at the University of Louisville Library, um, looking at the files of Lyman Johnson, who was a beloved educator in Louisville and integrated the University of Kentucky. And his son, Lyman Johnson Jr., became a friend when I worked in the civil rights movement in Louisville in 1966 at Plymouth Settlement House. And I ran into something that uh, Whitney Young had written. And I, I, it just seems so appropriate. And I, and I thought about it in thinking about the portrait and what you see in Brianna's eyes. And he wrote, we have come to an end of one error and the beginning of another. We are not in the post-civil rights period. It is no longer a question of legal rights, but of whether white America will share political and economic power with black America, and whether America itself will survive. Unless black demands for justice are met, our polarized society will find itself in a course of repression that will destroy the foundations of democracy. Yes, it can happen here. Which kind of brings us to the title, which I just love, Promise, Witness, Remembrance. Maybe you can talk about how, how you came up with that wonderful title. Well, that, that credit goes to Allison Glenn, again, our curator. But it came out of a conversation she had with Tamika Palmer, Brianna Taylor's mother. Um, and she asked her, you know, what would you like this exhibit to mean for your daughter's legacy? And in kind of a long answer, but very to the point, Ms. Palmer is incredibly direct, um, kind of was the North Star of the exhibit. But Allison interpreted her answer into these themes, which again, addressed Allison's goal that the exhibit um, be both personal, local, and national. So this promise witness remembrance is relates on the personal level, the promise of a young life when it's lost, how do you witness and then remember her, those lives? 
um, on a local level, the promise to protect and serve, um, how do you witness that failure? Um, and then how do you remember that? And on a national level, what are our nation's promises? Who are included and protected within those promises? How do we witness those when we don't live up to them? How do we remember them? Um, I think it, it did really lay out beautifully. It elevated it. We knew that people would call it the Breonna Taylor exhibit, but we didn't really, mm -hmm. that felt a little bit um, excessively personal in a sense. So I, it did a beautiful job of getting people into the spirit of it and this dynamism between the local and the national. And as you saw in the exhibit, it laid out in, in kind of a linear way, the promise was more national the witness section was more local about the protest movement, about the way artists respond to the immediate moment and remembrance got into the spirit, um, a much more um, um, kind of solemn um, spiritual um, entry into the galleries with the portrait and the timeline of Brianna's life written by her mother. There are several programs and recordings and things on the Speed Art Museum website that people who were unable to visit the exhibition. And you, you've told me, Stephen, that you, you may work on some sort of book or, or journal uh, in the future, so people who weren't able to get to Louisville to see this. Yeah, um, we are doing that. We, sh we do have now online a version of the exhibit itself and a short video that explains some of the background of it. Um, we've done a lot of programming that can be found on that website or on our YouTube channel. But you're right, we didn't have time to do a traditional publication. And we didn't really think, you know, works were added to this exhibit three weeks before the opening date. Um, but it also wasn't really an exhibit that felt like that kind of contained academic publication that called attention, which, you know, for better or worse, calls attention to kind of the museum's mastery over its subject matter, you know, and art. And this is not really that kind of an exhibit. What we'd like to do is a publication that's more like an album, um, I call it, that talks about how would a museum even try to do something like this? How did we get there? Where were the conflicts? Um, I love that quote from Whitney Young um, that you used because it was also emblematic of this exhibit. You know, we turned over galleries that have been traditionally the home of our Dutch and Flemish collection, a deep and important part of the museum's collection. We turned over what are viewed as the original, um, you know, more noble galleries to, to black artists. The exhibit includes only black artists with the one exception of the young white man, Tyler Girth, who was killed in the movement um, at the request of our steering committee. Um, we formed our, our leader who was a peer of Allison's, Toya Northington, who's been with the museum for a couple of years, ran our community steering committee, who placed, um, I wouldn't quite call them demands, but they were more than requests on the project and on Allison. They wanted the exhibit to include only black artists and kind of very much consistent with the um, quote you just read. They said if there were a moment um, where it was appropriate for a traditionally white organization like every city's art museum, a white-led organization, to lean in, to listen, a time to listen to voices that haven't traditionally been heard, this is it. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, they, they had an impact on the exhibit in lots of ways, and it, it wasn't without conflict. And we want to tell that story of how, um, especially when you're moving quickly, um, focusing on a goal got us there, but it wasn't because we all agreed all the way there. We had to adapt um, Allison had to adapt much more than a traditional curator does in changing the checklist for the exhibit, changing the artists in the exhibit, changing the way it was presented. Um, and as a result, I think our community really felt heard even before the exhibit opened. Yeah, and, and it's so 
refreshing now to to have these well-known, you have many of them in the exhibit, African-American artists who, you know, at all the major museums, you know, the, the Whitney uh, Museum right now has a Daywood Bay exhibit that's just wonderful. And, you know, James Carey Marshall has been at the Met. And, you know, it, it's just becoming, they they were left out of sort of the, you know, the major exhibits for such a long time. It's really nice to see that now, now this will just be in the mainstream. For sure. What I also love is that Allison, kind of in response to the steering committee's requests, also worked hard to include not just works from our permanent collection, um, but also works from Louisville natives. So not everyone knows that Sam Gilliam um, is a Louisville native, has been involved with the speed. We're lucky enough to own more works by Sam, I believe, than any other museum in the world. And we showed an extraordinary, huge, hung um, canvas from 1969. Um, the artist Noel W. Anderson, who teaches at NYU um, in the print department, um, is also grew up in Louisville, and we're showing his work for the first time. Or works by Nari Ward, um, uh, uh, We the People, a reference to the preamble to the U.S. Constitution that we acquired five years ago. So. I think all you're right. All museums are are working hard to um, reflect their entire communities with the art they acquire and exhibit, and we're really excited about the role, the way that Promise Witness Remembrance helped us do that. And that naughty ward, the shoestrings that create the writing, we the people, and then the Glenn Lydon, you know, neon light when you walk into that first gallery. Really, it really stops you to think of promise, you know, promise of, you know, justice and rights and everything else. So symbols um, of our, our very powerful, of our national anthem, our, our flag, our constitution, our, our voting rights, and they're always, um, you know, under attack. And then the video of the uh, massacre in Charleston, when Dylan Roof, the white supremacist, killed nine people uh, in that Bible study group, it, um, it it it's it's a video that's so beautiful in looking at images that don't share the violence necessarily, but rather help us with remembrance. Is you know as as it is in that kind of that section of of the exhibit. It is. And, you know, I've got to give, again, Allison a lot of credit. That was the first work of art she told me she wanted to include, in addition, of course, to Amy's portrait, was um, this remarkable video by John Cessary Goff um, called A Battlefield. And as you mentioned, it's a reflection um, on the community that surrounded um, the Mother Emanuel Church following the killings of Reverend Clementa Pinckney and his eight parishioners. And I think it, it does an amazing job. It, it sets the tone for the remembrance section. The role of sound in the exhibit is, is hard to describe if you're not there, but the sound of Sweet Honey and the Rock singing, I'm gonna stay on the battlefield till I die with this beautiful voiceover by the artist, poet and activist, Sonia Sanchez, carries you towards the portrait. And it, it, it sets a, a spiritual and a, and a memorial tone and um, that carries you through the exhibit in a, in a very, uh, in, a, in a pretty important emotional way. It also, I think, as well as any other piece in the exhibit, um, reminds us that it's not really possible to depict tragedy. 
you know, not just is there an ongoing conversation about the um, sensitivity museums need to place towards art that depicts or invokes um, trauma, black trauma, trauma in the black community, and not just to do it to incite or invoke more trauma. I think these works address that, but also do something additional. And they show the, you know, how do you address tragedy? Um, because you can't really go right to the heart of it. So Amy's portrait of Breonna Taylor does that. She elevates um, her subject, Breonna Taylor, in a way that um, removes her from those brief moments, horrible moments of her killing. John Cesare Goff takes this unimaginable tragedy in Charleston and shows us the community that keeps the church alive in its wake and the people who come and memorialize those deaths. And that's really what we're left with in life. You know, as a community in Louisville, that's what we're left with, figuring out how do we move forward as a museum where we should be asking ourselves, how do we use art to serve our community's greatest needs? And as, you know, Sweet Honey in the Rock sings, you know, um, we don't have a choice. We've got to stay on the battlefield until we die. Take this hammer and carry it to the captain. Take this hammer and carry it to the captain. Take this hammer care to the captain. Tell him I've gone Tell him I've gone If he asks you Tell him I've running If he asks you Tell him I've running if he asks you, tell him I's running. Tell him I's gone. Tell him I's gone. And what really struck me so much about both the Grief and Grievance exhibition at the New Museum and your exhibition at the speed is that they were so gentle there there wasn't an assignment necessarily of blame it was more come into this and try to understand this and understand why we're grieving and 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 help people understand that do you think people did i mean did you have a lot of people in louisville who might not have normally understood some of this, but maybe attending the exhibition made a difference? I hope so. Um, I mean, what a beautiful description you just gave, because that was our intent. Um, you know, I, you know, so many memories of individual visits, I, you know, someone who had been part of the protests, you know, came up to me in tears and said, this is what she hadn't had time for over the last 15 months, is just to really think and feel. You know, I also had someone, and it was a fair critique, you know, it was specifically about the John Cesare Goff video. They felt, well, why are you kind of invoking um, a more traditional, you know, sound of the black church? Um, where's the anger? And I said, you know, the anger's there. 
It's been on the streets for the last 15 months, but we also have to recognize people's human needs to process that. And, you know, we also, it, it was a good moment to think about what can art do and what can art not do? How do we make it inviting? You know, I said to people before the exhibit opened that there was no art in the exhibit that was anti-law enforcement. You know, right. you a police exactly. officer could have come through the exhibit, um, you know, and, and I hope would have been with an open mind, would have just felt you know, would have had their own way to process what we've been through. I know it's it's too bad. I mean, both the Grief and Grievance exhibition and yours, neither exhibit are traveling, which is too bad because they are so wonderful. But Kevin Young at the Schoenberg Research Library in Harlem has now moved to the National Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington. And they will have the Breonna Taylor portrait, what, six months, you're sharing it. So I'm sure... Kevin will probably plan something as well, won't he? We don't know exactly, but yeah, they're curators and Kevin and I've spoken and we've worked out our own partnership agreement. Um, I should tell a little bit of the story that I think is just such a credit to Amy Sherald. She wanted the portrait to be owned in partnership by the Speed um, and by the Smithsonian's Museum of African American History and Culture, making Breonna Taylor's the portrait part of um, the cultural legacy of Breonna's hometown, as well as the national um, story of black lives in America. And not only that, Amy, um, who's just such an amazing person, realized that she didn't want to be profiting from this work. Her paintings are worth a lot of money. So we're both being supported. The um, Speed is getting a grant from the Ford Foundation. The Smithsonian is getting a grant from Steven Spielberg and Kate Capshaw's foundation. Amy's going to take that million dollars we buy the portrait with, and she's giving it all back to Louisville for educational fellowships in Breonna Taylor's name. It really shapes our work together with, with Kevin and with the Smithsonian, figuring out how do we each do justice over time to this incredible gift. Well, in, in just the couple of days that I spent in Louisville, I, um, I, I got a sense of quite a bit of art. And there was an article in the New York Times uh, last week about the plans of a woman named Hannah Drake. And she got a, a full page in the art section. Um, and she, what is she a poet, visual artist who's planning something called the Unknown Project? And I thought that had to have come out of some of what you all were working on. Our city is, um, well, one has a, a, a strong legacy in the arts. And, um, you know, as you've studied, uh, its own strong history in civil rights. And it is good to see them come together in projects like the Unknown Project, which is examining and uncovering the untold stories of black lives um, into the past, which were not recorded or, or not remembered. We are right at the site of an important crossing for the Underground Railroad because we mm. see Indiana across the Ohio River from downtown Louisville. And of course, um, Indiana was, was free and Kentucky wasn't for enslaved people. Um, and Hannah Drake is, as you mentioned, an incredibly important voice in our city, a spoken word artist. and. Um, has worked with the speed on projects before, and we're, we're really excited to see that project get attention. We're working ourselves with a similar grant from the NEA um, in Louisville's Russell neighborhood with an artist in residence right now. So we're ambitious about the role that art can play in helping move our city forward. We have a choice right now. We can either um, stay stuck and unchanged, um, but in the face of the kind of tragedies and realities that we we have to confront now. I hope that we're making the choice to move forward and, and find the critical role that the arts can play in making that happen.
James Baldwin, uh, in an essay entitled The Creative Process, which he published in 1962, said um, that, that the United States has an opportunity as no other nation does, of moving beyond old world concepts of race and class and caste and then create what we meant when we talked about the new world. But he said the price for this is looking backwards once we came and an unflinching assessment of the record. And and that was another, you know, that that was another thought that came to my mind when I saw the, you know, when you end the exhibit with the Brianna Taylor uh, portrait. The gaze in her eyes is at the future, it, it, as if I'm now leaving this to you to think about how we can, you know, what we can do. It's a great point, and I think it really does capture what Amy's done there. I think to James Baldwin's point, the museums have to do both, and we have to recognize our legacy. In a city like Louisville's, um, there's probably no single greater symbol of concentrated wealth than its art museum. You know, you're sitting on, um, on you know, a century of of the 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 results of concentrated wealth and all the things that creates it, from colonialism to enslavement, etc. And I understand the call to kind of decolonize the museum to kind of take it down. I think, um, as James Baldwin said, it's more exciting, more challenging to say we actually live in this tension in the middle, to look backwards and acknowledge always what created this thing we have, but also to live in this moment where we're leaning forward into what we can be. That's a, mm. it's complicated. There's no, um, no single answer about how to do it, but it's exciting. And I think if museums also acknowledge that to the rest of the world, I mean, we may feel like a struggling nonprofit, but to the rest of the world, we look like the symbol of everything that created wealth in our country. And if we're not using those assets literally and using our position and our influence to move things forward, then who can? You've been at the museum actually since 2016, and you are going to retire soon. I hope that you're going to stay very much involved in the arts and <laughs> in one way or another, so you continue doing things like this exhibit. Well, thank you. I'm I'm not going anywhere in terms of <laughs> Louisville's my hometown, and I am fully invested um, in the in the future of the Speed Museum and the role of arts. I'm, I'm excited to work with a couple of other organizations like the Creative Capital Foundation in New York, where I was um, board chair for a number of years, supporting a more sustainable future for artists around the country. I was been involved with the new museum. And so I will be looking for my own ways to, to move our cities and country forward with art. Thank you. Well, thank you so much again. And again, thank you for taking me through the exhibit. We're so glad you came. We've appreciated you and your visit. If you have enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe. You can connect with us through the short fuse podcast at gmail.com. You can support us through Patreon. You can find us on Spotify and on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Join us next time when we engage, explore, and ask questions. Little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light.